Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. I am Anna Jaworski, and I hope you've been enjoying this Cardiac Athletes Spotlight series as much as I have been. It has been so much fun. Lars Andrews wrote a book called Cardiac Athletes, and he was actually a guest on my show some seasons ago. He's now gearing up to assemble Cardiac Athletes 2, featuring stories about athletes who have undergone cardiac procedures. Some of the athletes were born with congenital heart defects, and some have acquired heart disease. I've been enjoying interviewing all of these different athletes from all over the world, and today we have an international show, which will be so much fun. So, welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Graham Sutton. Thank you. Well, Graham, let's start first by telling us where you're located. I'm in Melbourne, Australia, in one of the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, Australia, in a suburb called Ashwood. So we're down under today in Heart to Heart with Anna. Let's start off by having you tell us what your cardiac condition is. I didn't know I had a cardiac condition till about two and a half years ago, and I discovered I had a bicuspid aortic valve, and it got infected, and because I was a very fit and healthy person to begin with, it sort of got ignored until it sort of came to crisis point. How old were you when you discovered you had a bicuspid aortic valve? Basically, I was 10 days before my birthday. Oh, no, actually, on my birthday, I discovered, actually. I was in a job interview, and they I sort of collapsed, and I ended up in an ambulance. <gasps> oh, my goodness. They ended up in the ER, and they couldn't work out. All I could say is I feel rotten. I can't work out why. And they finally put a stethoscope to my chest, and they said, how long have you had this murmur for? And I basically said, what murmur? <laughs> and they said, we know what this is. Wow. Okay. So were you 20 or 30? Or... Oh, sorry. I <laughs> oh, my goodness. You were 50 before you discovered you had a bicuspid aortic valve. Yeah. And I, you know, like I was a reasonably good age group triathlete, sort of, you know, used to come in the top 10 of my age group and probably 10% of the overall fields even at 50. So there was no sign that my heart was defective, as you could say, or the performance of my heart never stopped me doing anything. Right, right. So have you always been an athlete, Graham? Well, not really, no. I used to be one of the sort of the what would be called the nerdy group, the academic group (laughs) uh, in high school and university Mm -hmm. and then I think about 29, I decided that had to be more to life than working and coming home. Good for you. And so I started swimming with a master's group, which I don't know if you have them in America, but they're just sort of like um, trying to get sort of adults to swim. Right. Yeah, we do have them. At least we have them in Texas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so you started swimming, and, and did you ever get a said, physical? Oh, no, I found out that I wasn't as bad a swimmer as I thought I was. You know, like uh-huh. I was probably end up in the fastest lane, even though I never thought much of my swimming. And someone sort of said, "Oh, do you want to try out with this triathlon coach? He's, you know, he's he's starting a new season, and do you want to join in?" And I did, and it sort of developed from there. I sort of discovered that at 29, I wasn't as bad as an athlete as I thought. Okay. And so in all of that time, did you ever have a physical, I mean, like an annual physical even where the doctor might have listened to your heart? Uh, Probably about the same time I worked for, as a research research chemist, senior research chemist for a company called New Farm, which is a manufacturing, well, they call it agricultural chemicals. But it well, it's basically a euphemism for pesticides. So they, as a matter of course, always put us through a tests every year to make mm. basically legally cover themselves, as you would probably guess. And mm-hmm. um, no, there wasn't any sign there was anything wrong. Okay, so you've lived five decades with a bicuspid aortic valve, perfectly fine, to the point where you're competing in triathlons, which is very hard on the body, and then you and collapse. Yeah, and, and to a fairly high level, too. Right, like right. You know, yeah, you're in the top tier, and then you yeah. collapse. That must have been terrifying for you. Yeah, it was pretty – it was sort of the six-month lead-up that the infection started, and I think what stirred it up is I had a dental appointment, and they cleaned my teeth. Mm. And that teeth cleaning meant that some of the bacteria from my mouth got into my bloodstream and attached yep. itself to the heart. Right, straight to that valve that was having problems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was having six months of apparently unrelated medical issues and it was I, I basically wasn't training very well and all of a sudden I felt old and I thought, oh, maybe it's just that I'm 50 and I've suddenly, you know, I'm wearing out. The condition slowly got worse and I found, I think in the, the week beforehand, I found that um, I'd walked. 800 meters to the train and then need another 200 two hours of sleep to recover wow and wow. i was told sweats and um mm-hmm. you know but i had deep vein i was diagnosed with deep vein thrombosis three months before oh my goodness that's very painful from what i hear i've never had it happen yeah. but i have friends who have had it happen and they say it's extremely painful but anyway the doctor just listed as unprovoked and didn't investigate it and it wasn't until the hospital they said, oh, it was probably the uh, bacterial colony on your valve snapping off. Oh, wow. And okay. they said, you were lucky you didn't have a stroke. Yeah, you were lucky you didn't have a stroke. So I imagine they hospitalized you and started giving you massive um, antibiotics. Oh, yes. They uh, pumped me full of IV antibiotics and they did a toe, or I think you call it a T in the US, which is a transesophageal um, cardiogram. Yeah, echocardiogram. Huge, well, the growth was as, the length of the growth was as long as the diameter of the valve. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Took, and, and it got past the cardiology department, and I've never seen a cardio surgeon panic, you know what I mean? But he yeah. came down and says, you need to be on the table tomorrow. Oh, uh, you're an extreme stroke risk. You know, this has to be fixed. Yeah, and that, yeah. And that, well, and it basically didn't happen the next day because it was a Saturday, but by Wednesday that day they 
they actually formed a proper conference and they operated on me and replaced the valve and cut out the infection and some probably other things that I don't really need to know. (laughs) (laughs) Better off not knowing too much what goes on, do you know what I mean? Wow. Now, were they able to do this transcatheter or was this an open-heart procedure? No, they had to cut me open. Oh, my goodness. That must have been terrifying for you. Uh, I didn't. Honestly, I my basic reaction is I don't want them to operate. But sure. rationally, um, there wasn't a choice. Right. And because it happened over two or three days, there wasn't any real time to panic about it or develop thoughts that would make you panic or anxious. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. um, No, I don't and, know, honey, because I think I'd have been in panic mode. <laughs> Uh, and it was, I think, to because I was sort of sick, extremely sick and been sick for a long time, I sort of felt relief that they'd found something. Right. And secondly, right. hospital staff were saying, oh, you've got endocarditis. Mm-hmm. Can, you know, like, oh, we just got to give you antibiotics and this is the treatment we're going to give you. So it was all very um, impersonal. There was no sort of. Nobody else seemed really upset about it because they'd seen yeah, it before. Yeah, just sort of, oh, hum, you know. Heart to Heart with Anna is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the Hug Podcast Network. Hearts Unite the Globe is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to uplift, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at www.congenitalheartdefects.com for information about CHD, the hospitals that treat children with CHD, summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. Okay, so you think you're getting antibiotics. You think that, okay, now finally they found it, and then they come back and say, well, we're going to have to cut you open. Did you have family there to be there by your side while you were going through Uh, this? Well, my sister lives in in the western suburbs of Melbourne, and she, I was hesitant to tell her that I was in hospital, but she was the uh, my medical emergency contact, so I mm-hmm. felt I had to. Sure. And the reason why I was a bit nervous about telling her is that she was uh, going through being treated for cat liver and intestinal cancer. Oh, my goodness. And so I thought, I don't want to trouble her, and, you know, I just thought, Stay away. If this is the infectious disease ward, you don't need to be here while you're on chemo, but she came anyway. Oh, what and, a sweet sister. Yeah. And um, my parents lived two, two hours from um, Melbourne in, in inland. So, so longevity longevity runs in your family if your parents are still alive and you're already in your 50s. Well, to be honest, to Australia's healthcare system is fairly good. So you were in tip-top shape to go ahead and have this surgery. And then what happened after you had the surgery? Well, I was in hospital for six days. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like one of my questions is, oh, my life as a triathlete was over. Do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's a big part of what you do is, you know, like triathlon's sure. a fairly dedicated thing and I'd been doing it for 30 years and it was a part of me and I was thinking, oh, God, this is over. And I remember 
I think one of the nurses came to me when I came out of anesthesia and said, oh, you're a triathlete. I'm so proud of you. And I said, I think I was a triathlete. He said, what do you mean? And I said, well, when something like this happens, it sort of puts a dampener on things. He said, no, nah, you'll be back to it. <laughs> you know, you, 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 I love like, her. It'll take a while, but you can get back to it if you want to. You know, like oh, this, is, this is only a blip. Okay. Well, good. That's the kind of person you needed to have talk to you after you came out from anesthesia. So tell me about your cardiac rehab. It was basically a walking program for six weeks. Mm-hmm. The, and to be quite honest, they wanted you to walk up and down the corridor in the week that you were in hospital. And I remember the day, brick next day in I, I, ICU, they woke me up and they, made, they helped me out of bed, insisted I got out of bed, which was a pretty cruel thing to do, a bit of tough love, mm-hmm. I suppose you call it, mm-hmm. and made me eat breakfast in, sitting up. And so they had me moving the next day, basically, and I was walking up the corridors of the hospital as I felt like it. Mm-hmm. And I got home and they basically the walking program detailed at least 15 minutes a day at the start. Mm-hmm. And that was rather slow. And some days, 15 minutes walk was quite honestly enough. You know what right. I mean? Like it right. moment. Yeah. For someone who'd done an Ironman 12 months before, you found 15-minute walk and then you felt like, oh, I just want to have a rest. <laughs> you know right. I mean? and, yeah. Uh, but by the end of six weeks, I think I was walking an hour twice a day and, and fairly briskly. Wow. Uh, and then in Australia, when you have open heart surgery, they part of the program is they give you, send you off a, what they call cardiac rehab, which is a physio and a nutritionist and so on it, at the local hospitals. But they basically guided me through and said, oh, you can start riding a bike um, at about six weeks, you can start riding a bike now and just take things easy and there's no restriction on the amount of time you do anymore, of exercise you do anymore. Just just take it easy and just go easy is how you feel. At six weeks, the wound was healed enough, so I just used to go to the local pool, which is oh, about 500 metres away, and I wasn't allowed to use my arm, so I used to basically just get in kick. Right, right. 45 minutes and just built and I, more than anything else because you're home it's just good to get out and sure you know, and if i don't know if you just get out to a pool and people see you kicking quite often they'll sort of nod to you or say hello and you might mm-hmm. just talk to them but it was better than being yeah around. you don't need to be cooped up that's not good it's not good for you and mentally and you know, even just doing things and making giving you confidence even if, mm-hmm. even though it's a little thing you know it's not sure Absolutely. And then I saw saw the cardio, uh, cardiologist at the hospital at about eight weeks, and I said, oh, so can I start, if I just start putting 30-second jogs into my walks on the on the proviso that if something doesn't feel right, I'll stop doing it and put aside for a few weeks, is that okay with you? Because no one would tell me when I can start going running again. And mm-hmm. she said, yeah, that's sensible. Just that's how you should probably treat it, all of your rehab from now. Mm-hmm. And she put a restriction on weightlifting. Uh, right. That's just because you've got a broken <laughs> chest. You don't. Mm-hmm. They don't didn't want you to crush your chest again. And I started just training by myself. Um, and I went back to work as a lifeguard. As a lifeguard. 
So you went from not being able to swim with your arms, just kicking, to being able to save people? <laughs> but by about um, probably two months, I was swimming for an hour, and I was given wow. okay to swim with them, do freestyle and backstroke. That's, impre- that's impressive, Graham. That's really impressive. Wow. It sounds like you went about it the best way you possibly could. You listened to your body. You listened to your doctors. You took it easy to begin with and you built yourself back up. So have you gone back to do a triathlon? Um, I did the sprint course series last summer, our last summer. And yes, I, I went okay in it. And I, you know, the times were a bit slower than what I'd like, but I just said, well, this is more of a confidence build to show that I can do it again. Absolutely. I think the biggest thing about getting back to it is that it's not the heart's been given a clear and say, oh, it's working wonderfully, but it's the fact that the cracks you open, it basically destroys yeah. all your core. But I did it and I did did quite well. You know, I was still coming. Mm-hmm. I think I was coming between the 10 to 20th in my age, between 10 and 20 in my age group for most of the season. Wow. So. That's amazing. Even And you had had that deep vein thrombosis to deal with as well. And they had me on blood thinners anyway for the first six weeks, I think, sure. or eight weeks or something. So that helped with a deep vein thrombosis as well. So what kind of valve did you get? They put a porcine, a pig's valve in, in the end, I think because it just operates better. Mm-hmm. And... I think it lasts longer because one of the issues about tissue valves, especially in the younger patients, is that it tends to scar up and calcify and they have to replace it very quickly, whereas this one's meant to last. And it has to work hard because you're a hardworking man. Yeah. (laughs) I was worried about that and I've been nervous about going up the high-intensity areas, even though there's no medical reason for me not to but I have this vision of going up and causing my heart to explode you know what I mean sort of even though it's an irrational feeling but yeah well you lost the vision of the healthy gram that you had known for so long yeah yeah and that's a hard thing to lose and and lack of fitness that I had you know I just don't have the you know like I train now Mm -hmm. I'm doing a, a half Ironman in about a month's time first one since surgery and I've you know, like I think I can do all the physical stuff and we'll wait and see what happens. So tell me what being a cardiac athlete means to you, Graham. Well, for me, one of the things is that I won't let things stop me. It might be a stubbornness or resilience, <laughs> but I just think, well, I'm not going to let this totally ruin my life or turn me into right. invalid. So keeping mm-hmm. going being an athlete, you know, I just refuse to. You know, if I give up, <laughs> I just, I'm going to come an invalid and I don't want to be an invalid. Absolutely. That seems to be a very common theme. That's what a lot of you cardiac athletes say. You just got to deal with the cards you've got and work around it. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You've got to have the mindset that, yes, okay, your body's not going to work maybe as well as it should or things are harder or going to be harder or you may be sore. But if you stop, you you don't want to be an invalid. Well, I love it. You have a very interesting story. Bicuspid aortic valve is the number one congenital heart defect, and most people aren't aware of that. But I was told by a cardiologist that it's uh, projected that at least 3% of the population has a bicuspid aortic valve. And like you, most people don't even know it until something drastic happens, like what just happened to you. So I'm so glad that you're okay and that you're back out there 
performing. Are you going to be writing for Lars's new book? Yes, I have put a chapter in. Well, great. So, for all of you listeners, I hope that you will check out Cardiac Athletes Two, and you'll get a chance to learn a little bit more about Graham Sutton. Thank you so much for coming on the program today, Graham. Yeah, thank you, Anna. It was a lot of fun. So, thanks for listening today, folks. Please come back next week when we'll feature another cardiac athlete. And until then, remember, my friends, you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you have been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time.